I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Back in college, I entered a tournament as a condler on Rodman Reservoir in Ocala National Forest. Boater told me to meet him at the lake at 5 a.m. I hit the road around 3.30 a.m., should put me there about 15 minutes early. I'm driving through Ocala National Forest, and the fog this particulate morning is thick. I'm probably driving 30 in a 55 due to the limited visibility. I come around a corner and all of the sudden, I see the whitest lady I've ever seen in my life walking towards me in the lane. Clearly just substance abuse going on, but could easily pass for a zombie ghost. I pull into the oncoming traffic lane and hit my brakes to miss her. I come to a stop about 15 feet past her and watch her turn around like a zombie and start walking towards my truck. I went ahead and got out of there. Since then I've had a similar thing happen in almost the same area with a regular looking guy that appeared to have a bit too much to drink. Another time, guy just crossing the road around midnight, no vehicles around. I've got several buddies that have similar stories of people walking in the oncoming lane seemingly in the middle of nowhere out in the Ocala National Forest, and they had to swerve to miss them. Weird thing is it always seems to happen 5-10 miles from the closest building that shows up on the map and these aren't hikers. No clue what these people are doing out there. It all started on a quiet summer night in Wisconsin. I was visiting a friend's cabin deep in the woods, away from the hustle and bustle of city life. 
It was a perfect escape, or so I thought. We were sitting around the campfire, swapping stories and laughing, when suddenly I felt a strange sensation. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it was as if we were being watched. I scanned the dark forest around us, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. Later that night, as I was walking back to the cabin from the outhouse, I caught a glimpse of something that sent a shiver down my spine. Red glowing eyes stared at me from the darkness, watching my every move. I couldn't see the creature's body, but the intensity of its gaze was enough to make me hurry back to the safety of the cabin. I didn't mention the encounter to my friends, not wanting to scare them or be labeled as a paranoid city slicker. But the image of those red eyes haunted me for the remainder of the trip. A few years later, I found myself in Pennsylvania on a camping trip with some buddies. We had chosen a remote location, surrounded by dense woods and miles from the nearest town. Once again, I felt that familiar sense of being watched, and my mind drifted back to that night in Wisconsin. As the sun dipped below the horizon, we huddled around the campfire, its warm glow providing some comfort against the encroaching darkness. We chatted and roasted marshmallows, trying to ignore the eerie stillness of the woods around us. When nature called, I hesitated, remembering my previous encounter. But eventually, I couldn't put it off any longer. As I ventured away from the campsite, I couldn't shake the feeling of being followed. And then, it happened again. Those same red glowing eyes appeared in the darkness, watching me intently. I stood there, frozen in fear, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature remained hidden, its body obscured by the shadows. But something told me it was a dogman, a legendary creature said to roam the woods of the Midwest and the East Coast. If I had seen its body, I'm sure I would be even more terrified than I already was. I hurried back to the campsite, my mind racing with thoughts of the mysterious creature. I shared my encounter with my friends this time, and we decided to pack up and leave first thing in the morning. To this day, I can't help but wonder what might have happened if I'd seen the full form of the creature with the red glowing eyes. Would I be more heavily affected by the encounters, unable to enjoy the serenity of the woods? Or would I have come face to face with a legend, forever changing my perception of the unknown? All I know for sure is that those two encounters have left me with a deep respect for the mysteries that still linger in the wilderness. A reminder that we may never fully understand the secrets that lie hidden in the shadows. In a world where the truth is meticulously controlled by the government, every record, every piece of history is carefully curated to fit a specific narrative. As a government archivist, my days were filled with sifting through documents, ensuring that the official history remained untarnished. My name is Eva, and I was a cog in this intricate machine of manipulation, until the day I stumbled upon a cache of classified government files that shattered everything I thought I knew. It was an ordinary day or so it seemed as I delved into a pile of documents marked with a level of classification that sent a shiver down my spine. I expected the usual mundane reports, but what I found was beyond comprehension. The files contained evidence of over 5,000 cryptids that had been encountered since 2023. Creatures that defied explanation, lurking in the shadows of our carefully constructed reality. As I read through the reports, my heart raced with a mixture of excitement and fear. These documents had the power to rewrite history, 
to expose the hidden truths that the government had been suppressing for years. The existence of these cryptids challenged everything I had been taught to believe, and I knew that the world deserved to know the truth. My decision was made in an instant. I had to expose this revelation to the public. But I was not alone in my discovery. As I meticulously gathered evidence and pieced together the puzzle, I could feel the eyes of powerful forces upon me. A brilliant but enigmatic CIA operative named Donovan and a stern army general named Harrington began pursuing me relentlessly. The chase was on, and I found myself in a deadly game of cat and mouse. Donovan's intellect was matched only by his resourcefulness, and he seemed to anticipate my every move. General Harrington, on the other hand, was a force of military precision, using his influence to cut off my escape routes and corner me at every turn. With each step I took to expose the truth, the danger escalated. Donovan and Harrington were not just trying to silence me. They were trying to control the narrative, to maintain the government's iron grip on information. The more I uncovered, the clearer it became that the cryptids were not just anomalies. They possessed powers beyond our understanding. Powers that could tip the balance of power in unimaginable ways. As the pursuit intensified, I found myself torn between my duty to reveal the truth and the overwhelming fear of the consequences. Were these cryptids truly the key to a new era of enlightenment, or were they harbingers of chaos? The more I learned, the less certain I became. Unfortunately, I failed. Once they caught me, they told me that they'll not only kill me, but all my family if I continue to leak the forbidden information. I had to comply. At least for now. I was on a weekend canoeing trip for rest and relaxation in a remote area of Rough River State Park, Kentucky. The date was June 24, 2003. Strangely, I felt queasy and anxious for some unknown reason, as if I had something to fear. Heeding these sensations, I was extremely cautious on the river. After several miles, I paddled the canoe to the riverbank and tied it off to a tree. I got out to explore the area. Looking eight, ten feet downstream, I spotted what looked like the top of a gray clay jar peeking out of the water. My first thoughts were that I might have found a native people's artifact. I started down the bank toward the creek, which was extremely slippery with mud. I stopped just short of the water and very close to the old earthenware pot. It was more like a clay crock, and I soon realized that it probably wasn't very old. I poked at it and noticed there were small handprints on it. I thought they could have been raccoon prints, but they were more like little human handprints about an inch wide. I tried to pry the thing loose using a stick, but suddenly heard a noise. I heard what sounded like children laughing in the distance. The sound was coming from downstream. When I managed to pull the crock jar out of the mud, something let out a scream. It sounded like a little girl, very high-pitched and loud. Not knowing what to do, I grabbed the jar and began to scramble up the muddy bank. Glancing back, I thought I saw something move along the creek. I stopped and sat at the top of the bank for a moment looking at the jar, trying to comprehend the handprints. After a few minutes, I laid the crock down, got up, and walked along the creek, stopping every once in a while to peek through the bushes to see if anybody was there. At one point, I looked over the bank and noticed two little people standing about one foot tall. They had pale skins, 
Little brown leather pants held up by suspenders, no shirts and little pointy hats made of what looked like leather. They had leather foot coverings that went up past the ankle. Their hair was reddish in color and their eyes blue. Their hands were only about an inch wide. They knew I was watching, but they continued their task of pulling some kind of wooden stump down the muddy creek bank with long leather ropes or strings. These little men were surprisingly clean for the work they were doing. I then heard a thump back where I first had gone in the creek. I looked back and there were three more of the little men, exactly like the first two. They had pushed the crock jar back down the bank. They were all laughing, high-pitched laughter like a bunch of kids. I then heard a loud snap and they were all gone. Their footprints were plainly visible in the mud, but they were gone, along with the crock jar and the wooden stump. They had vanished in a split second. I walked around in an attempt to pick up a trail, but to no avail. I continued my trip with no other incidents. It was December 2000, and the winter chill had settled in. I lived in a small town called Molala, located southeast of Oregon. The snowy hills off Hunter Road were a popular spot for hiking and exploring, and I had decided to venture out that day to enjoy the tranquility of nature. I had always been fascinated by the mysterious stories of Bigfoot, but never truly believed in its existence. Little did I know that my perspective would change drastically during that fateful hike. As I trudged through the soft snow, enjoying the crisp air and the crunch of snow beneath my boots, I stumbled upon something that would change my life forever. I found a set of tracks unlike any I had ever seen before. There were a dozen of them, each measuring 14 inches in length, with an astonishing stride of five and a half feet. The elevation of the area was about one in 500 feet and the remoteness of the location added to the eeriness of the discovery. I couldn't believe my eyes. The tracks were clearly not human, nor did they resemble any known animal in the area. My heart raced as I considered the possibility that these tracks could belong to the elusive Bigfoot. I decided to follow the tracks, curious to see where they would lead. As I continued on, I couldn't help but feel a growing sense of unease. I was acutely aware of the eerie silence around me, punctuated only by the crunch of my footsteps and the occasional rustle of a bird or squirrel in the trees. Despite my apprehension, I pressed on, driven by a burning curiosity. The tracks led me deeper into the hills, and I began to wonder if I was on the verge of making a groundbreaking discovery. Suddenly, the tracks stopped at the edge of a small clearing. I scanned the area, searching for any sign of the creature that had left the tracks. But there was nothing. No broken branches, no tufts of fur, no lingering scent. It was as if the creature had simply vanished. Disappointed and feeling a mix of fear and fascination, I decided it was time to head back. I retraced my steps, making sure to take photos of the tracks as proof of my encounter. When I returned to town, I shared my story with friends and family, some were skeptical, while others excitedly shared their own theories and stories about the legendary creature. As for me, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had come incredibly close to uncovering the truth about Bigfoot. That day in December 2000 marked the beginning of my obsession with the mysterious creature. Since then, I've dedicated my life to searching for evidence and learning all I can about Bigfoot. And though I've never come as close to the creature as I did that day, 
The memory of those tracks in the hills off Hunter Road continues to fuel my determination to uncover the truth. As I stared at the lifeless body of my best friend, I knew I couldn't let this go on any longer. The once peaceful town we called home had become a place of fear and nightmares, the forests surrounding it now inhabited by deadly, unknown creatures. We had come together as a group of hunters, determined to protect our town and families from the mysterious predators responsible for the gruesome animal attacks that had plagued our community for months. We had entered the forest, weapons in hand, prepared to face whatever horrors awaited us. But we were not ready for the cunning intelligence and ferocity of the creatures that hunted us. They picked us off one by one, their stealth and speed unmatched by any predator we had ever encountered. I was the last survivor, my friends and fellow hunters, now nothing more than memories and fallen comrades. Desperate and terrified, I stumbled deeper into the forest, hoping to find a way to stop these relentless monsters. That's when I discovered it an ancient relic, hidden away in a dark, forgotten cavern. Its mysterious power seemed to resonate with the creatures, hinting at the possibility of controlling them. With newfound determination, I began to study the relic, learning its secrets and unlocking its potential. As I deciphered its ancient symbols and harnessed its power, I devised a plan to turn the creatures against one another, using their own instincts and abilities to defeat them. With the relic in hand, I ventured back into the heart of the forest, seeking out the lair of the predators. When I found them, I used the relic's power to emit high-frequency sound waves, carefully tuned to a frequency that specifically affected their hearing, leaving the other forest animals unharmed. The creatures, disoriented and incapacitated by the sound, began to turn on one another, their pack mentality shattered by the unbearable noise. As the predators fought amongst themselves, I watched from a safe distance, the power of the relic protecting me from their wrath. The once fearsome creatures were now vulnerable and confused, their reign of terror coming to an end. With the last of the creatures defeated, I returned to the town, battered and bruised but alive. I carried with me the relic, a testament to the power it held and the lives it had saved. The nightmare was over and our small town could finally begin to heal from the horror that had gripped it for so long. In the end, the ancient relic and the knowledge of the high-frequency sound waves had been the key to our salvation, allowing me to overcome the deadly predators and protect the home and people I held dear. I didn't personally witness any of the sightings, but I heard about them from the police reports. Officer Linda Seabrook saw a creature that looked gargoyle-like while driving home from work on the Garden State Parkway around 7.04 p.m. She couldn't believe what she was seeing, but was sure of the dark reddish skin and scaly reptilian wings of the creature. Another police officer, Scott Kimball, had a sighting of a gargoyle-like reptilian on Route 33 near Union at approximately 4.35 a.m. He saw a creature nearly six feet tall with scaly wings protruding from its back. The creature had larger than normal eyes and canine teeth. Officer Kimball saw the creature land briefly on an abandoned building and was able to make out its approximately five foot long tail. Police dispatch also received calls about sightings of a gargoyle-like creature in Cherry Hill Township at around 8.43 p.m. 
Witnesses reported seeing a creature nearly seven feet tall with large bat-like wings behind its shoulders. The wingspan was estimated to be around 13 feet across. There were also reports of strange flying reptilian creatures in Pensacon Township at around 317 am. Multiple witnesses called the PD to report creatures with red glowing eyes, large wings, and massive black talons. While I haven't seen any of these creatures myself, the reports are certainly intriguing. I've always loved exploring the great outdoors, and one of my favorite pastimes is hiking the trails in the Mount Hood National Forest. The vast expanse of wilderness, filled with towering trees and hidden mysteries, calls to me like a siren song. One crisp autumn day, I set out on a solo hike down Old Cat Road, a trail that meanders through a replanted area of the forest near Colton. As I walked along the path, my senses were filled with the sights, sounds, and smells of the forest. The rustle of leaves beneath my feet, the chirping of birds high above, and the earthy scent of damp soil filled the air. The beauty of the forest never failed to take my breath away. It was then that I stumbled upon something that would change the course of my hike and spark a deep curiosity within me. As I rounded a bend in the trail, I noticed a set of tracks leading out of the replanted area onto the road. The tracks were unlike any I had seen before large, deep impressions with distinct claw marks. Curiosity peaked, I decided to follow the tracks to see where they led. They continued along the road for a short distance before disappearing back into the trees. I hesitated for a moment, unsure if I should venture off the trail, but my curiosity won out. I stepped off the path and followed the tracks into the dense forest. The underbrush grew thicker as I pushed deeper into the trees, and the tracks became more challenging to follow. Still, I pressed on, determined to uncover the mystery of these unusual tracks. As I continued my pursuit, the forest seemed to close in around me, the shadows growing darker and more oppressive. Finally, after what felt like hours of searching, I found the source of the tracks. In a small clearing, I came face to face with a creature unlike anything I had ever seen. It was massive, standing at least eight feet tall, with dark, shaggy fur and piercing, intelligent eyes. I realized with a mixture of awe and terror that I had discovered a cryptid, a creature of legend. The beast regarded me with curiosity, as if it were just as surprised to see me as I was to see it. We stood there for a moment, locked in a silent standoff, before the creature turned and disappeared back into the forest, leaving me alone in the clearing. As I made my way back to the trail, my mind raced with questions. What was this creature? How had it managed to remain hidden for so long? And most importantly, what would I do with this incredible discovery? From that day forward, my life was forever changed. The encounter in the forest fueled a lifelong passion for cryptozoology and a quest to unravel the mysteries of the unknown. The memory of that fateful day in the Mount Hood National Forest continues to inspire me as I journey through the world of cryptids, searching for answers and unlocking the secrets of the wild. Alright, so this takes place a little over a year ago in the north woods of Wisconsin in winter. My parents had been out of town for probably about a week, and I was dog-sitting. I was in a big old house alone, which I didn't mind too much. 
I couldn't drive, but I'd take long, cold winter walks through the woods a few miles to get to the grocery store. I say this to point out that I knew the place pretty well and definitely wasn't scared of the area. On one of the last days they'd be gone, I heard a strong, distinct whistle. It was at the same tempo of the sound a foghorn would make, but very high-pitched. It was pretty loud and sounded incredibly close. I looked out the window and saw nothing and no one. I also heard about nothing, no footsteps, birds, deer, or anything else. The silence was so eerie that I could feel my heart pounding. I immediately ran to shut and lock all of the doors and windows. I stayed up about half of the night with the most unsettling feeling I just couldn't shake, like when you know that something's watching you. I also want to mention that my closest neighbors were completely out of town, and I saw no footsteps the next morning except my own. I grew up in Hillsboro, just down the road, and there was something that haunted me during those years, a tall, featureless figure darker than the darkest night. It appeared in my room on multiple occasions, always in a different position. Sometimes it would be crouched down in the corner, facing the wall, while other times it would lurk inside my closet, staring into its depths. These encounters left me feeling unsettled and frightened. One particular night, shortly before I was about to leave for college, the figure took on a more terrifying form. As I awoke from my sleep, I saw it bent over at a perfect 90-degree angle, its face positioned directly above mine. It started repeating the same phrase over and over again in a haunting voice, I am here, I am here. The words echoed through the room, sending shivers down my spine. That night marked the last time I ever saw the figure. As I left for college, I hoped to leave behind the unsettling experiences of my childhood. However, the memory of that encounter remains deeply ingrained in my mind. It's both fascinating and unsettling to hear someone from the same area recounting a similar experience. To this day, I find myself reflecting on those encounters and wondering about the true nature of that mysterious figure. What was it? What did it want? The questions remain unanswered and the memory of those eerie encounters continues to leave an indelible mark on my consciousness. It's a reminder that there are inexplicable forces in this world that we may never fully understand. I was born and raised and currently live in the very rural Northwoods of Wisconsin, near the UP border of Michigan on land that was originally, and still somewhat sparsely populated by the Ojibwe people. I had a similar experience this past February 2023 that I can't shake. I was solo snowshoeing an isolated trail system in the Chequengan Nicolet National Forest in the Lake Superior Snowbelt, not far from my home. It's a beautifully remote place that I've explored many times alone, often never crossing paths with another person. This time it was sunny late afternoon. I was again alone on a particularly scenic trail, paralleling a small, fast-flowing river which was open and only iced over on the banks, enjoying the serene scene accompanied by the sweet songs of chickadees and industrious sounds of nuthatches amplified by the cold calm. As I got further on the trail, I noticed it suddenly got very quiet, which wasn't alarming at first as the winter woods can get very silent, especially considering our high snowfall amounts that blanket the land. Then, out of nowhere, I heard a rhythmic, deep, and reedy sound of a low, but loud whistle through the brittle woods. 
I was captivated as I had never heard that sound before. It had a powerful pulse to it that I can't really describe. I am an avid birder admittedly, not an expert, but I was baffled. The noise was somewhat close when I first noticed it, but instead of being curious, I became concerned as I heard the sound getting closer to me. The sound inexplicably filled me with dread. It seemed to be traveling quickly maybe as fast as a bounding deer and seemed physically low the utterance coming from somewhere just above the ground and well below the treetops. While I was out there, I rationalized that the strange vocalization must be from a raven. Ravens are year-round residents up north, so I am very familiar with them. They are highly intelligent birds with complex, individualized calls that include deep sounds like croaks. However, I have never ever in my four decades of living up here have ever heard a raven utter a sound like that noise. That day I was deep in the woods and was the first person breaking trail after a big snow, so I couldn't move fast. I decided that my best course of action was to just keep going until I got to a switchback that would shorten my journey. As I paralleled the river from a ridge above dense with new pine growth, I heard the sound from what seemed to be between me and the river, maybe 50 yards maximum. I stopped and listened as it moved on and beyond, still paralleling the river. I couldn't see much ahead of me, and I did not hear any footfall of it breaking the snow. Honestly, as irrational as I felt, I was... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns grateful to be hidden. I hauled it to the trailhead and got out of there as fast as I could. As soon as I got home, I started researching and seeking out any information on what bird or animal could have created that vocalization. Nothing I found matched that sound. To this day, I just tell myself it must have been a raven, but I know in my own small understanding of the world that it was something else. My grandma used to tell me one of her little brothers was always kidnapped by dwarfs. She said she never saw them, but her brother often spoke of them, and how naked little kids were always calling and waving at him, asking to join them. Eventually, some other adult got involved and told my grandmother's grandma to make the boy poop in the middle of the front yard, which is where he allegedly always saw them. Apparently dwarfs love cleanliness and are easily disgusted, and it worked because he never saw them again. I'm from Panama, by the way, and my grandmother used to live in Darien, where her family has a big finca. This would have happened in the late 30s. Anyway, when I was in elementary school, my school was in the middle of this. I don't know how to say it, but it was a decent neighborhood, except behind it there was a stream and a fair amount of flora and fauna. A small woods, if you will. I swear I saw them playing near the stream naked. I never saw them call to me at all, but I do remember distinctly seeing them several times in a space of a week. My parents told me I was just seeing things, but I think my friends saw them too, because I remember we would all avoid going to the area where you could see through the gate to where the stream was. 
I've spent tons of my life in the forests and scrublands of Washington, including some very minimalistic backcountry long-distance hikes, and these are the only truly unnerving things that happened. The first was maybe 2010. Hiking on the Colonel Bob Trail, and it was fairly empty because it was a rainy day and the trail was partially washed out at the time. We only saw one other person the whole time, a man we first passed resting against a rock, carrying a rifle. My friend started chatting to him and asked if he was hunting, and he said no, he was actually out training for an upcoming hunting event. After this, we passed him repeatedly without ever seeing him pass us and without him saying a word to us. Often he was just crouched in the bushes off the trail, watching us go by. I get that he was just a very skilled stalker who could move quietly off the trail beside us, but even though I know this was just his hobby that had nothing to do with us, it sort of felt like we were the targets of the stalking and made me uneasy. The second, I think it was 2019, was weirder. We'd been camping for a few nights, just sleeping in the van in spots around the National Forest, having a great time. Moonlight, full sky of stars, owls and insects, the whole experience. We hadn't seen any other people in the forest itself, but it was very lively and safe feeling. On the third night we were fairly deep and somewhere southeast of Quinault, and the atmosphere was completely different. There were a ton of fires going in Washington and Oregon, so the air had gotten really thick with smoke, then fog had rolled in off the Pacific, and the two together completely absorbed all noise and light. There was no wind at all, no rustling of trees, and not a glimmer of light. With the headlights of the van visibility was maybe two feet, but with them off it was space mountain levels of darkness, like you could not see your own hand an inch from your face. I opened the van door to get out and piss before sleeping, but decided against it. The air was seriously just so thick, still, and dark that it made all my hairs stand on end. Plus, we'd parked on a road with steep switchbacks, so I was a little bit worried I'd walk off a cliff. Since neither of us were risking going outside, we went straight to bed. As we were drifting off, there was suddenly pounding on the middle side window, right above where I was lying, and on the side facing the trees rather than the road. It sounded like an angry person banging on it with the side of their fist. We both went dead silent and still, then my friend roared. What? In a comically deep voice. No answer, but maybe ten seconds later we heard a slow, tap, tap, scrape on the side of the van. My friend had lived in this van in Seattle for five years, and had had plenty of people actually trying to break in and basically just shooed them away. But in that moment he said F this, and we got into our seats, got our seatbelts on, and left. Like maybe there was someone camped nearby, but they definitely weren't behind us, or to the right or left of us. And the worst part is that it was a gravel forestry access road, with gravel on both sides of the car, on the most oppressively silent night I've ever experienced and we didn't hear a single footstep. I think the absence of footsteps is actually what gave both of us the sense of urgency, because it did not feel like this was a drunk grouse hunter trying to pull a prank. I used to night hike with friends during high school and go off into wilderness around North Bend, Fall City, and Preston. Sometimes in the rain at 2 a.m., 
I did one time have an encounter with something deer-looking and tall asp in the middle of the night at the top of the Asakwa Highlands also ran into my first bear encounter there lol. Whatever it was, it was peering out of the bushes near the only street light on a road that goes into the wealthiest homes there. I was just taking a stroll admiring the architecture. It literally looked like a deer. I could only see its head and neck. It made no sound when I saw it come out. We made eye contact and I was about 15-20 feet away. Only thing was this thing was literally 7 feet tall. In the first two seconds I saw it, I was stunned and cautious. It then suddenly tilted its neck 90 degrees, and I ran so fast back to my car that shit freaked me out. But it happened so suddenly I don't talk about it much. It's not a credible story for me. Other than that I had one ghost experience as a child. Shit is ingrained in my memory. I can never rule out the supernatural because of that experience. Guess I've had three poltergeist events too, but again I don't find them compelling enough, just unexplainable. I was with some friends screwing around in the mountains above Spokane during hunting season. We were driving up a dirt road when we saw some lights on the hillside above us, maybe 300 yards away, over a creek and up a hillside. It was dark enough, and we were in a canyon that the sides looked pitch black, except for three red lights. I thought it was hunters with headlamps set to rid to keep their night vision, but they were acting kind of funny. They seemed to be hopping up and down every so often, even playing leapfrog. They never disappeared behind each other and moved pretty quickly at times. We ended up outside of the truck watching them and trying to see through the binoculars. They went out in the middle of the hill, and we watched a minute longer with nothing happening. At that point, my buddy got out his massive spotlight. We lit up the hillside, everything looked normal, but where the lights were was a rocky cliff face with sheer drops and overhangs. We decided to head back at that point and started driving back down. Took a wrong turn and ended up on an impassable road by truck that led to the top of a ridgeline. My friend starts backing out when the entire forest lights up with an intense blue-white light. We all look up out the windows expecting to see a helicopter or something, but none of us can actually pinpoint the source. My buddy stops on the gas in reverse. We go flying and right when we break out onto the main road. The light shuts off. It was far too bright to be a spotlight. Being near a ridgeline, I had a decent view, and it seemed like a large area of the forest was lit up like a movie set. We booked it down the mountain, and it became a running joke that we scared some fae, so they decided to scare us lol. I've been back and seen the rock face in the daytime, but for the life of me I cannot find the other road we pulled onto. I remember it looking really defined when we pulled onto it though, and not even questioning if it was the right way. It's important to the story to know that I was basically a huge jerk leading up to what happened. See, I'm a graduate student and I was at this point about six, eight months into a new relationship with a woman named Sarah. If it matters, I am female and we were both around 30 at this time. The prior year before I met Sarah, my best bud from school, Josh, and I had gone on a great camping road trip over spring break. This year, I messed up and basically double booked myself to go camping with Josh and with my girlfriend, because I am a scatterbrained idiot and I got confused about what plans had been discussed, solidified. 
Both Josh and Sarah were justifiably really pissed off and hurt, but I had made the plan with my girlfriend first, ultimately, so I had to flake on Josh. When it came time to planning, Sarah and I picked a campground in southwestern Pennsylvania with lots of good hiking. It's at least a five-hour drive from where we live. We made reservations and I mentioned the plan to Josh. Well, it turns out, of all the campgrounds in the region, Josh had also decided to head to that one as it connected to a long bike trail he wanted to go on. He had decided to go camping alone. So we knew Josh would be at the campground before we got there. But things were super awkward between me and him, on account of my being an asshole and him being generally a bit depressed around that time. We stayed three nights and Josh was there for the first and second night. We'd rented out a small cabin, basically a prefab shed with bunk beds, because it was cheap, and we have a leash-reactive wimpy about rain dog, and it's sometimes easier that way. Josh was tent camping in another spot. I think Josh and I were mostly planning on avoiding each other, he was rightfully still angry. Things were awkward, and I figured he needed some space from me. But it turned out only one bathroom was open on our side of the campground. Since it was only early April and most of the campground was still closed down for the season. Josh's campsite was right next to the open bathroom, so we ended up seeing him when we walked to the bathroom at night. I saw heard signs of one or two other groups on the far side of the campground, but they had their own bathroom open over there and we never really saw them. It's a very large and forested campground and only small sections at either end were open for the season. The second night, Josh was out in his campsite when we came through to the bathroom before bed. It was after midnight at this point. Josh seemed super depressed and we had a very strange and awkward conversation with him, took care of what we needed to in the bathroom and headed back to our little shed down the road. The roads in this part of the campground were basically like an inverted F, with the bathroom above the top of the F. In between the two arms of the F was a stand of trees next to the main road, a small locked shower building in Josh's campsite, furthest from the main road, the main road being the vertical line of the F. We were staying off the main road further down on the opposite side, so that night we'd cut past Josh's camp to get to the bathroom, but on the way back, we followed the road, so as not to bother him, as he seemed in a bad mood. It was dark and I'm easily spooked. We had the dog with us, which was somewhat reassuring, since he looks semi-tough despite being a nutcase and a wimp. But I'm looking around nervously, and as I glance over my shoulder, I think I see a man off to the side of us. My brain processes this very slowly, as I just caught a glimpse of him as I turned my head, and it was very dark. I convinced myself my mind was playing tricks, I didn't look back and silently walked with Sarah and the dog back to our cabin. When we got back to the cabin, I thought Sarah looked a little spooked, which is unusual, since she's a lot braver than me. Eventually she says, that guy was really creepy, right? So shit. He was real. I told her I saw him, but had convinced myself my eyes were playing tricks on me. But no, we both saw someone with no flashlight standing in the trees just off the road maybe 15 feet from us. I asked if it might have been Josh. Neither of us were really convinced, but wanted to convince ourselves so we could get some sleep. And he had been wandering around being moody 15 minutes before, and it was right by his campsite. I think we didn't want to freak ourselves out any further, 
so we locked the cabin and didn't talk about it much more. The next morning it was pouring rain so Josh decided to pack up and leave early instead of spending the day in the area. We shouted goodbye to him as we headed to the bathroom and he ran around tossing shit in his trunk and trying not to get drenched. That night was a weekend and there was a big family in the cabin next to ours and everything felt far less spooky. But when we got back to town a day later, I texted Josh, asking him if he'd been lurking creepily in the woods. He said no. Well, I told him what we'd seen, and he said he'd seen a guy the prior night lurking in the woods without a flashlight. Same general description, which I'll get to, same area. The guy had really creeped him out, so much so that the next day he bought the biggest mag light he could find, so he'd have more than just a pocket knife to defend himself but he'd also mostly convinced himself it was a park ranger. Yeah, with no flashlight, let alone a vehicle. But he more or less willed himself to believe it, so he could get some sleep. So, once we could no longer pretend it was Josh, Sarah and I compared notes. What we both saw and what Josh saw the night before was this. A tall, gaunt white man in his late forties, with clean-shaven sunken cheeks in the stand of trees, brambled just off the road, and the space between the arms of the F. He was wearing a raincoat, rubber boots and a hat, and had no flashlight. He was just standing still and staring coldly in our direction. I remember his raincoat, his sunken face and how very cold his gaze felt. In contrast, Josh is several inches shorter than whoever we saw, was not wearing a raincoat that night which we knew because we'd just seen him, but we convinced ourselves otherwise bearded, 29 years old at the time. I should add, it wasn't raining. To be clear, where this guy was was not somewhere you'd be strolling through, it was a thick brambly area. He had made the effort to move out of the road and to stay in the shadows and away from the bright bathroom light, both nights. We're sure he wasn't going to the bathroom, though we were on the women's side. You can hear the men's side clearly and Josh had been outside in view of the bathroom doors both nights. He didn't look like he lived in the woods, which is to say, he appeared clean and groomed, and his clothes weren't worn or dirty. Whatever he may have been doing in the middle of the night, in a nearly abandoned campground with no flashlight, he was clearly making an effort not to be seen. We all discussed it and Josh ultimately called the campground to let them know. They said they'd check it out. Although my camping fees were mysteriously refunded, we never heard anything more. Josh is still a little mad at me for seeing a potential murderer lurking the woods near his tent and not doing anything. Out of curiosity, we just checked to see if anything had happened in the park. A number of people have gone missing in the state park over the years, some slightly mysteriously. Most were found downriver and believed to have fallen into the rapids on accident. I'm sure it's unrelated, but the whole place gives me the creeps. And I still can't figure out what that man was doing. I remember back in high school, my religion teacher shared some jaw-dropping stories with us. He claimed to have worked as an assistant to the local exorcist, involved in intense spiritual battles against the forces of darkness. It was an unexpected twist in our religious education, but it certainly grabbed our attention. He recounted encounters where he had direct conversations with the devil himself. These exchanges were chilling and unsettling, as he described the cunning and manipulative nature of the fallen angel. 
The things he heard during those interactions would send shivers down our spines. But it didn't stop there. My teacher went on to describe the physical manifestations that accompanied these exorcisms. He spoke of furniture being violently thrown across the room, as if an invisible force was wreaking havoc. The intensity of these encounters was like something out of a horror movie. What intrigued us even more was the revelation that most of the people who required exorcism were practitioners of Satanism. It seemed that their involvement in dark rituals and worshipping the devil had invited malevolent entities into their lives. As unsettling as it was to hear, it reinforced the importance of spiritual discernment and the need for protection against evil influences. Those stories stayed with me long after high school. They challenged my beliefs and made me question the existence of supernatural forces. While I couldn't fully comprehend or verify the authenticity of my teacher's experiences, they served as a reminder of the constant struggle between good and evil that transcends the boundaries of our physical world. Whether or not one believes in the paranormal, these stories opened up discussions and expanded our understanding of faith, spirituality, and the power of belief. It was a unique and unforgettable chapter in my high school experience, where the lines between reality and the supernatural blurred, leaving us with more questions than answers. This happened nine years ago in the early spring when I was 15 years old, spring 2014. I was at a friend's house in corn country about an hour north of Indianapolis. Nowadays, I am very familiar with the paranormal unexplained having multiple shared experiences with friends, but at the time I was a major skeptic. I didn't fully process what we saw until years later. I came over to my friend's house to hang out like any other time. I brought my pellet gun he had one as well so we could shoot some moles on his farm property. After a while, his brother joined us, and we eventually got bored of looking for moles. There was a patch of woods about the size of two football fields a little over a mile away completely surrounded by empty cornfields with no access points from the nearby road. The three of us decided to walk out there because why not? We were bored kids looking for fun. We put on some boots and headed out with our pellet guns. The walk wasn't super far, but it took us a while to reach the woods because all the spring rain from earlier in the week made the empty field a big mud pit so muddy your foot disappears with each step. Then right as we walked through the brush surrounding the edge of the woods, we saw it. The best way I can describe this thing is it was a raccoon that was built like a Great Dane. We had seen coyotes and wolves before, and this was not that. It 100% looked like the biggest raccoon we had ever seen. We could tell we caught it off guard because it was just standing there on all fours grooming itself and then it immediately locked eyes with us when one of us pointed at it and said, look at that thing. There were a couple of seconds where we just looked at it as it looked back at us before it quickly turned around and scaled a 60 feet tree. We lost sight of it in the canopy. We then looked at each other and were like, WTF was that? We talked about how the way it climbed the tree was what freaked us out the most. It only took a few strides up the tree using its front two paws to grab a spot on the tree to lift and launch itself up the tree. The arms were freakishly long and lanky looking when it climbed. It honestly looked somewhat human in the way it articulated its arms as it climbed, like its elbows jutted out to the sides as it pulled itself up. 
We talked about how freaky that was some more and decided to keep looking around, because even though we were spooked, it was intriguing and we wanted to see if there was any other freaky stuff around. There definitely was. The woods were littered with easily over 100 animal carcasses, bone piles. Most of them were cows, raccoons, and opossums. There was one spot maybe 25 by 25 feet that had at least a dozen cow carcasses ranging from just the bone left to one that looked less than a week old. They were definitely being eaten by something with huge chunks of flesh missing. I know cows get loose all the time, but damn if this didn't look like a feeding spot. My theory is this thing was stealing cows from local farms for food. There are a couple within five miles. We also found a man-made small pond near the middle of the woods, which couldn't have been more than six feet wide. A shovel and plastic bucket was sitting next to it. Once we found that we're pretty freaked out again and decided we'd better head back because we had less than two hours of daylight left and there was a lot of thick, deep mud to slowly walk through to get back. That's pretty much it. At the time, it freaked me out a bit, but looking back now, knowing what skinwalkers are, I'm just happy we came back completely unscathed. Unfortunately, I don't hang out with those guys anymore and I tried to go back with some different friends somewhat recently only to see that the woods had been cleared out and there was nothing there. I thought I was tripping out, but I looked on Google Earth and I could see in its place was dirt and log piles. Probably an omen to not chase this thing. I'll take it at face value. I haven't heard of the dogman, but this thing didn't look like a dog, coyote at all. I just used Great Dane as a size comparison as it was freakishly large to be looking like a raccoon. Yes, it had a striped tail like a raccoon. It had the face of a raccoon, specifically the large black spots around its eyes. Stubby, almost rounded ears like a raccoon. It had bushy fur like a raccoon. We saw it very clearly with no obstructions from about 30-40 feet away. It was early spring and the brush inside the canopy was still dead. I used to hunt in Leon County at my family's old homestead that has been around since the late 1800s. The frame house that my grandmother was born in is still standing. It was built in 1920, I believe, and I would drive in from college Waco and spend the night while hunting down there. We were always scared to be alone in that house just because of all the old furniture and pictures, etc. I fell asleep on the couch one night when a norther was blowing through. I remember awaking briefly thinking it had gotten cold, but fell right back to sleep. In the morning when I woke up, I had an old quilt draped over me. This was not a quilt that would have just been draped over the couch. In fact, my mother confirmed later that she had that quilt put up in a closet. It sounds crazy, but I have no other explanation. I had no recollection of ever getting up. I'm a believer in guardian angles, and that is all I can sum this experience up to. Needless to say, it was several years before I stomached up the nerve to sleep alone in that house again. My mom, dad, and cousin each have a story that take place on the same patch of road in Mexico. I'll tell them as they were relayed to me individually. My parents actually met here in the United States, but they grew up in neighboring pueblos in Mexico. Connecting the two pueblos is a long, empty span of road, maybe five miles long, which is apparently haunted. These stories take place many years apart 
but on the exact same patch of road. When my dad was a young man, he loved horses, jarupios, and drinking. While he has since put down the bottle, he still loves horses and jarupios lol. But back in the day, he would occasionally ride his horse out across the road to the neighboring Pueblo to hang out or hit up some parties. One early morning, he was returning home on horseback from a party in the neighboring Pueblo. He was a bit drunk and was just casually making his way home when suddenly the air grew still and the night went silent. He said something just felt off and his horse could sense it as well. My dad says that you can always tell what a horse is focusing on by looking at their ears, and in this case my dad's horse's ears were perked up stiff and focusing at the empty field beside them as well as all around them. Thinking that there might be some sort of animal stalking them, my dad looked around but the fields beside them were empty and there weren't any bushes or things for an animal to hide behind. Suddenly the air went cold and my dad felt goosebumps on the back of his neck, almost as if something was right behind him. That's when my dad's horse couldn't take it anymore and took off running for its life. My dad held on tightly and tried several times to bring the horse to a stop, but it was dead set on getting the hell away from whatever they had just encountered. Eventually, they finally reached their pueblo and the horse calmed down and came to stop. Never before or after had the horse behaved that way and it left my dad shook up. Needless to say, he was sober by the time he reached home.